Hello and welcome to Audio Gyan, an Indian podcast for those interested in design, philosophy and arts. Audio Gyan documents thoughts, ideas and insights from known and unknown gems of India who have done some remarkable work in their field of interest. Visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Today we have Ramu Ramanathan with us, a playwright director and an indigenous citizen of India. We'll try and understand some basics about stage life characters. Uh, Ramu is deeply concerned with socio-political world of the today and living encyclopedia of arts and activism happening around us. Uh, he's got many plays to his credit to name a few Cotton 56, Polyester 84, uh, Jazz, Comrade Kumbhakarna and more recently Postcards from Bardoli. Uh, thanks, Ramu, for giving us your time and it's a great honor to have you on audio again. Thank you, Kedar. <laughs> uh, so, of course, I'm not like as literate as you are in any domain if you pick. Uh, but today's conversation, I'll try and ask you some basic questions uh, about understanding stage life uh, characters, what are characters in general, and uh, hoping to get some insightful answers to which our users can ponder upon. Sure. Yeah. So the first uh, and foremost is who or what is an antagonist or a protagonist? Um, maybe on the stage life and then later on in real world also. Hmm. So again, uh, what happens is to a large extent, our definition of these terms, antagonist, protagonist, of, tends to fall into certain formats of Hollywood and Bollywood. Hmm. And uh, because of certain entailments of commercial box office, etc., it sort of gets driven to a large extent by that. Yeah. Uh, and in our view, I mean, in the world of literature, in the world of aesthetics, in the world of overall cultural experience, we find that that is a very narrow perspective of generally reducing kathavastu, plot lines, to very, very sort of specific things. Yeah. But if you go back, uh, you know, uh, of course, you have the great Greek tragedies, you know, 2000, 3000 years years ago but similarly we had an extraordinary playwright who wrote in Sanskrit by the name of Bhas and he's mm. supposed to be a predecessor to even Kalidas so this mm. is second century mm. and uh, so for example there's a character uh, he had developed called Duryodhan which mm. is in a play called Urubangam and mm. Urubangam is basically the chapter in which uh, Duryodhan's thighs are smashed by beam mm. and then after that what happens so okay. Urubangam okay mm. Uh, it's a very short piece and it in a way defies all your a perception about what a protagonist and an antagonist is. So, mm -hmm. of course, we have what, you know, Vedvyas had written in the Mahabharat plus public perception about what the Mahabharat is and who and what Duryodhan falls into that, right? Mm -hmm. He's evil, he's a villain, he's etc, etc. But what Bhas does in Urubangam is quite interesting. His thighs get smashed. Mm -hmm. So there is this battle between Bhim and uh, Duryodhan which is happening in the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And the way it is described on stage is these three excellent warriors are describing it. It's almost like a cricket commentary mm -hmm. of today's time. So Balram, Krishna, etc. They're watching this thing and we are getting an Ankhodekahal of this battle between Bhim and uh, Duryodhan mm. and then of course we realize that Bhim is the more skillful warrior or the more uh, I mean Duryodhan is the more skillful warrior and but of course Bhim is more powerful and oh, strong yeah. and then finally he goes against the rules of uh, Dharma and he smashes him below the waist and he uh, breaks his thighs. Mm. Now something very interesting happens in the piece so that is the first part of the play which is the prologue kind of a thing and then Duryodhan is dying there in the battlefield mm. and then his 
his family comes hmm. and their description of uh, duryodhan hmm. and what duryodhan says uh, hmm. and then his nobility of character is what bhas brings out hmm. and everything that we know about duryodhan is completely turned upside down and he comes across as someone who cares who's sensitive who's been nice to people around him hmm. uh, and uh, you know the nuances which we tend to miss around in whatever every s- single thing and then the words of advice that he has for people around so subsequently ashwatthama comes and etc so for each of them he has very noble advice and he has you know and that is something that bhas sort of uh, underlines hmm. now two interesting things happen after that in hindu uh, or rather in indian theater uh, history there's somebody by the name of uh, bharata who writes an atya shastra very clearly prescribes rules and uh, regulations hmm. that so in that he says two three things he says don't show death on stage and we have a feeling we meaning people like us who have to some extent you know evaluated theater history or whatever is that it sort of sprung from this whole thing that hmm. where uh, you know this the the death of a, a larger than life character on stage created a catharsis which was probably too much for audiences to handle Correct. so from that comes bharata's thing of not th- uh, showing death on stage that only show noble characters on stage uh, and highlight their noble deeds so very clearly sort of indicating what bhas has done with duryodhan that in a way what we would call in today's term the gray character hai usme kitne layers hai you know mm-hmm. the kind of language we tend to use to describe these things so in a sense it's almost that that don't sort of confuse our audience so if there is somebody uh, that only show the pandavas as the good guys mm. and only show the kauravas as the bad guys mm. and and third is in terms of uh, message be very clear with the kind of message that you're propagating what mm. bhas is in a way saying is that war is not good for any side correct and whereas what bharata is trying to arrive at in a way is something slightly different so this you know and there are umpteen examples of these kind of things where uh, what our understanding of a particular character and how a playwright has defined or represented him mm. on stage is you know two totally different things so long mm. answer to <laughs> your sort of short question about protagonist and uh, antagonist mm. so so for me for example when i re- even today when i read this play i think a it's extraordinarily contemporary mm. I mean, have, you know, you have to un- understand. It's a very short piece of theater, uh, but at the same time, it's extraordinary. I mean, it, it's almost as if a playwright has written it today, the text. You mm. know, because in terms of the sharpness of understanding of this kind of cultural politics, mm. and be the understanding of that character of Duryodhan. So, mm. from that mm. point of view, and for me, he in this. If I read only this piece, then he comes across as the protagonist, and everything else comes across as the antagonist. You mm. know, so he just turns but, the. Yeah, yeah, but is there a reason to? Uh, compartmentalize two things because even as you mentioned earlier uh, this was probably written by Sankhya uh, uh, who was witnessing all this hmm. right hmm. so even he had a vision of two separate characters so is that a reason like there is there any reason to separate it out no but in this particular piece it's the 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 description of the the battle is actually by characters in the play uh, mm. it is you know balram and krishna and i think i don't remember who the third is now but mm. these three are uh, sort of uh, doing okay. that 
no i mean in terms of overall aesthetics uh, the good versus bad the evil versus the noble i mean these these have been classical archetypes which have the beauty and the beast mm. uh, you know so these have been classical archetypes and it works because in terms of conflict it sort of you know highlights a lot of uh, you know factors but sometimes i think that division is not always you know works favorably mm. in terms of great work i mean mm. you realize that it doesn't really necessarily work in the you know favor of great work so yeah. this these two uh, partition yep. is is uh, absolutely like trial and tested to some extent to some extent yeah okay. <laughs> yeah okay so uh, actually yeah so the next thing which i wanted to ask you was uh, do societies uh, define heroes i mean since we are sp- speaking about antagonist and protagonist so this is a very common question which i've tried asking almost everyone whom i interview mm. is that do societies evolve looking at art and overall uh, the kind of literature they are reading mm. or literature and art and cinema and plays and everything those things are a depiction of the society how does sure. that work is there a mm. uh, obviously there's give and take but still uh, if you see older plays the things which people used to watch they used to take home mm. and these days now whatever is happening in the home mm. they are just looking at a dramatization of that so mm. how good how bad it is what so, should be the ideal thing so again if you look at western canon of theater and i refer to that because i'm assuming some of your listeners are you know aware of at least the the european tradition of theater so mm. if you look at the three or four big names so mm. if you look at shakespeare ibsen chekhov beckett etc if you just consider these three or four playwrights you get a fairly good sweep of what is happening so a lot of shakespeare of course we are looking at 15th century approximately um, you know so gutenberg has discovered the printing press there's a certain kind of renaissance of ideas and that gets reflected in a lot of shakespearean plays mm. but interestingly enough what happens is a lot of the plays are about courtroom dramas okay. because it's in a sense the primacy of what our society is seems to be governed by these people who are our monarchs our rulers mm. so it's always in the interest of the uh, uh, the audience that visits the theater to understand that how do our kings and queens and you know leaders oh. behave so whether it is caesar whether it is hamlet whether it's you know the the john series or henry's and so on and so mm. forth you find macbeth mm. so to a large extent it's got to do with people who are a governing our society and who are ruling our society mm. something interesting starts happening uh post 1889 uh, mm. which is the french revolution and then you find that there is a kind of tradition where you know that's the uh, the overthrowing of the of uh, the french uh, monarchs over there mm. and then you find that with the advent of pre-industrialization etc and the, the uh, you know uh, the concepts of equality and so on mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. find that it starts getting percolated in europe in different parts of society yeah. so you have again uh, you know again we are looking at very broad brush strokes but you have the arrival of two playwrights chekhov and ibsen who are in a way predecessor to a lot of what happens in uh, the 20th century okay. and instead of the plays transpiring in court rooms and battlefields and uh, you know in this this great sort of arena of war mm. you suddenly start having plays transpiring in drawing rooms and living rooms mm-hmm. so if you look at the great plays written by chekhov and ibsen they to a large extent transpire in the living rooms and in one brush stroke from the sort of uh, super privileged monarchs and kings and princes and you know lords he brings them down to middle class gentrified bourgeois mm. and his or rather their argument is if you look at a lot of ibsen is that two things one is that um, 
uh, you know, the living room is as vicious and as dangerous a place as a battlefield. Okay, <laughs> mm. and as Tolstoy had once said, you know, every every family is is a great dramatic story to tell, and yeah. every family is an unhappy family, yeah. and there are secrets, and there is viciousness, and there is nastiness, which is on the scale of what is happening inside the you know lives of these kings and queens. So that is the first thing. The second thing that happens is, for example, if you read a lot of Chekhov's plays, the you know the classics, Uncle Vanya, uh, Three Sisters, Cherry Orchard, etc. On stage, it seems as if very little is happening in the mm. lives of these human beings. You see, you think that is fairly mundane, is fairly boring. Mm. You know, f- you're watching three hours of this theater, and really nothing is happening. Mm. But while on the living room, on stage, nothing is happening. Off stage, the great dramatic upheavals in society are transpiring. Mm. So you know, if Chekhov mm-hmm. is happening in Russia, where you're finding a big shift from the Tsar to what the Bolsheviks had come to. You know, there was mm. going to be a shift, uh, mm. land reform, and there was going to be an overthrow of the Tsar, etc. So there is that big shift that is happening. So everything that is happening on stage is reflecting the transition that is happening outside in society. Correct, correct. So the dramas outside, it's a lot, it's a lot like some of Tendulkar's plays mm. later, yeah, after yeah, about 60 to 70 years later, you know, mm. where on stage you seem to see a certain kind of uh, vacuum, mm. but actually off stage, what you're saying is that this is a society which is in the middle of a certain kind of hypnosis, mm. which has been sort of you know from the top, and that is getting reflected on stage. That nastiness, mm. that cruelty, the, all mm. those kind of things. So again, the third thing that happens in in the in these plays is also from that kind of hum jo bolte na alankarik bhasha, ek prakar ka jo stage pe bola jata jo Shakespeare ke vakt mein tha because our kings were expected to speak like that. Yeah. You know, today when the prime minister speaks from the red fort and if he speaks in a sort of ordinary kind of way, people will not accept it because yeah. public speaking and rhetorics are part of you know uh, what statesmen do, leaders do, etc. So that was getting reflected in a lot of the Shakespearean tradition. Mm. Whereas if you see a lot of or hear a lot of Chekhov and Ibsen, you will realize that the language suddenly starts getting simplified. Short mm. sentences, mm-hmm. you know, they're communicating. It is not, it is the way you and I are having a conversation right now. It is very sort of at, at the level, it's very, very mundane. Mm-hmm. So that is the second, uh, third thing that happens. Then we see another shift, which is again in Europe, we are confining ourselves to Western canon. Uh, is between World War One and World War Two, mm. where again you had playwrights like uh, Beckett and Ionesco and so on, which is called the Theatre of the Absurd. And uh, again, Samuel Beckett is an interesting example of this whole tradition because again, a few things happen. Here is a man who's born in Ireland. Uh, he shifts to France mm. uh, and he consciously decides that he's going to write plays in French. Mm. And during World War Two, here he is a citizen of one country in another country, France, mm. which is besieged by a war between Germany and England, mm. in a way. Mm-hmm. And while he's in France, that country gets run over by the Nazis. Mm. And here he realizes, what is the situation I'm trapped in? You know, it's mm. sort of, for him, the ultimate absurdity of human existence. Mm-hmm. And that is something that gets reflected in a lot of his plays, starting from Waiting for Godot and Endgame and so on. Now, he does something very, very interesting to depict this absurdity. He takes what are, what we call the absolute dregs of human society. Mm. So, he takes two tramps, mm. two bikharis, Vladimir and Estrogen, and places them on center stage and they decide to wait for Godot. Mm. And he decides to throw everything that Shakespeare and Ibsen and Chekhov talk about outside the window of stage, and mm. which is plots, which is characters, which is this whole, you know, thing of antagony, uh, antagonist or protagonist. 
every single thing that we have learnt about the theater he throws out of the stage oh, wow. and yet oh. he writes a play which is considered to be one of the landmark productions and you know which redefined theater grammar theater history theater so if you look at in a way the history of these three uh, playwrights mm-hmm. shakespeare and of course ibsen chekhov and beckett and of course along with them there are a whole body of work obviously yeah. these are just examples you see the shifts that uh, you know overall again to you know answer your question and of course there have been many others who have continued with this whole tradition depending upon you know the circumstances in which they have to write the play so mm-hmm. people in east europe people in africa people in latin america so i mean different people have written different types of plays de- depending on the tradition but in terms of broad brush Talks, I suppose we can rely on these three as you know mm-hmm. uh, three pillars of uh, mm-hmm. yeah Western canon of theatre. Yeah. yeah, but <clears throat> then uh, what like? But if you compare these uh, to the real world things right now, which are happening, <laughs> say uh, like I'll especially give you that Vijay Tendulkar's experience. So when I watch Sakaram Binder, it actually shows what is happening in the society, and it was a very bold move to uh, to show something like that. But these days. but yet it had a, a, a some substance which the users which the audience used to take away so which doesn't happen today so i'm sorry but taking a very bad example right to kahani ghar ghar ki Hmm, right. I haven't seen that. Yeah. <laughs> no, or, uh-huh. or, or any of the daily soaps which okay, are running television. Today. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. television. Mm-hmm. So those are just the same things which we are seeing today and there's nothing to take away. Mm-hmm. So how can like a potential a uh, writer director think of something which is happening in the society hmm. but it's not a lit- uh, literal depiction of what's happening but something to take away hmm. but i mean, i haven't seen uh, the the two serials that yeah. you mentioned but hmm. or rather the the hindi soaps but i i for example you know and we were discussing this a short while ago uh, is a lot of work that i see on uh, youtube mm. uh, which you know a lot of very very young people 20 25 year old the kind of songs that they're coming up with the kind of material and skits and stand ups that they are conceiving of i find a reflection of uh, a lot of work uh, which was probably traditionally happening on stage happening on those forums oh, right okay. and i and i do uh, so one is anger or one is you know and all young people are necessarily supposed to i mean that's why you're young right yeah. you're there to overthrow what the previous generation if everything was hunky dory with this then you know the planet would go on the way it is yeah. so obviously that is i feel getting reflected and also what is exciting is the manner in which uh, you know so one is that we all broadly know what we have to say right mm-hmm. uh, i mean there are certain areas of concern and you know as citizens we respond to that you okay. know and depending from your caste or language specificity you respond to that kind of a thing but in addition to that how to say these things will always remain a matter of concern and today's Correct. generation i think that concern is slightly more heightened simply because you have all these sort of you know Platforms. multiple yeah and short attention span and you know many other factors but under the circumstances i think they cope quite well i mean i'll just give two small examples i met some very very young girls in delhi about two weeks ago and they were part of this whole pinjara tod uh, you know agitation which is transpiring in delhi as part of the hostel movement mm-hmm. basically empowerment for young girls to basically ensure that they are able to have uh, you know better living conditions in their hostels and also be- you know this curfew taboo that they have mm-hmm. and they are not being controlled by some warden and so on mm-hmm. now 
two things. One is the kind of poster art that they came up with as an opposition to that. And it's a concern because, you know, on the one hand, you're saying that these 18-year-old, 19-year-old girls should go on to become the next, uh, you know, uh, space scientist for NASA. And on the other hand, you want them to be the head of SBI. But at the same time, you don't want them to get out of their hostel at 637. So this, mm. you know, fundamental hypocrisy that, that is yeah. there. And then secondly, that they don't know what they're doing. It is only their guardians and parents who know. Mm -hmm. And obviously these young, you know, why should there be one set of rules for young men of the same age and a different set of rules for young mm -hmm. women? So, of course, it's not only confined to um, uh, Delhi. It's also like, you know, Patiala, Lucknow, etc. So, as I was saying, so two things. One is the kind of songs and uh, agitational songs that they've come up with as part of this. Mm -hmm. Because obviously one is their anger against what is happening to them personally, but also making them, making it aware so that even a hostel in Marathwada is, you know, equally aware that this is a problem that we face and we also need to raise our voice to this. Mm -hmm. So that was something for me quite extraordinary. And then again, I met some young theatre people who have been working in the coastal area of Telangana, Andhra, you mm. know, and as you know, when the tsunami had happened, mm. uh, you know, the waves had come in and it had affected a lot of people. Uh, so suddenly now what you find is that uh, a lot of young children who had seen the tsunami, they started getting afraid of the sea. Okay. Oh, okay. And these are traditionally children who come from uh, fishing communities. Mm -hmm. And obviously, they, you know, if you're a part of the fishing community, you cannot be afraid of the sea. Correct. So these are small groups that worked with, uh, you know, local community children and try to get overcome their fear of the sea. Yeah, yeah. So the next anniversary of the tsunami, when it came, you actually had a chain of, you know, uh, theater artists plus young children holding hands and walking towards uh, the sea on the oh, beach. Wow. Uh, so yeah. again, you know... Uh, the point is, uh, would this be called theatre A, uh, B, then, uh, you know, do we write about these things and do we record them in, you know, public framework? So this is also happening. Mm. And of course, it's, you know, you hear these stories, it's inspirational because, I mean, yeah. these are young people who are making a huge difference, you mm. know. <laughs> yeah, true. So, yeah, slightly changing tracks here, uh, mm. especially uh, your work uh, is more towards uh, economic situation, social situations uh, in the India in India as well. So, where like India, I can safely assume to be a land of antagonist and protagonist being worshipped equally. Mm. So, what's your uh, what's your process of defining them uh, when you do your plays or uh, any of your material? Right. So, I mean, <laughs> there is this uh, label that I have that I only write very serious and solemn plays. That's not, that's partially true. I mean, any mm. uh, good artist would aim to do that. But there's also a lot of fun. And uh, so mm. I think next week there's a play called Jazz, which is uh, going to happen here. Denzel is performing it. So that's just a fun play about Indian Goan musicians and their contribution to Bollywood, for example. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, Specifically, to answer your question, um, uh, the thing is that uh, a good text, uh, to a large extent, you know, does many things simultaneously. And it's a little unfair to talk about my own work, but uh, I've been doing some amount of research about what has been the kind of plays that have happened, say, 1890s onwards in Mumbai. Okay. All right. And I mean, this for two reasons. One was... I'm very keen to write a play on World War One, okay. which was 1914, uh, exactly about 100 odd years ago. And Mumbai was the central city for that big drama because a lot of our soldiers, a lot of Indians were part of the World War One army and they had mm -hmm. gone. 
but two three things that happened one was a lot of these soldiers went out of the balad estate port uh, during 1914 to 1919 mm. secondly it all happened in that small little island of south mumbai where you know you had a lot of theater happening at that point of time mm. and third was that was also a period of time where you had the international freedom struggle at its sort of height and Correct. many things were happening at that time so you had tilak and you know the entire ganpati mahotsav uh, you had gandhi just returning mm. then from this side you had ambedkar then the formation of the uh, rss in 1915 and uh, hindu mahasabha and then 1925 communist party so all this is happening in that small little space mm. and what is gluing them and binding them all together that is theater wow. now something very mm. interesting that starts transpiring is that uh, as you know i mean as a good maharashtrian that you know tilak used a lot of theater to basically mobilize uh, audiences moments, right yeah, during yeah. the ganpati mahotsav now what people don't know is that um, because he was doing this there was a fierce clamp down by the british empire on plays that were being watched mm-hmm. so there is a draconian law called dpa dramatic mm. performance act which came into being post 1857 in mumbai and because mumbai was a sort of central hub for the british in mm. terms of their trade and commerce and they didn't want anything to be disrupted mm-hmm. so that the effects of that law was fierce in mumbai mm. all right so every play that was being uh, performed was under sort of lot of vigilance mm. and surveillance you know and unprecedented i mean when we hear of you know the recent debates on censorship and these kind of thing that is nothing compared to what mm. it was about 100 years ago it was an alien government and their full might was sort of uh, mm. unleashed on these theater people mm. uh, and the reason is simple that you know what tilak had realized that if the international congress movement had to become a mass based national movement and take on the might of the british empire mm. it needed to get people and mm. it needed to get resources uh, it cannot be what dadabai nauroji and ani besant had to a large extent conceive because then that would have been a very small group of bhadraloks mm. you know so if i had to reach out to people how would i do it so he had used theater as a kind of a, you know a tactic medium ah uh, to do that and it served two main purposes see what you have to understand is in those days mumbai had about 100 to 150 uh industrial textile mills i say mm. 100 to 150 because they kept growing mm. and if each mill had about 500 to 1000 odd workers mm. it meant that when i'm performing a play these 1000 workers are part of that experience mm. so that was number one number two was these workers during ganpati would go back to konkan or to up or to bihar so they would carry the messages of these plays back so not only are you a performing there you are ensuring that these messages are going wow. everywhere yeah. so this is what the british was surveilling mm. now again to answer your question what you know uh, you aspire for a play so at during that point of time there was a play called uh, kichakwad which was written by khadilkar mm, right mm. now if you read that play today you will say what it's a play about uh, the mahabharat and kichak ka vad hota hai usme kichak is killed by bhim because draupadi uh, ka apman hota hai and mm. you know that whole vow she makes and yeah. then she leaves her hair open and it will not be knotted till such time as he is killed mm. so it's a very simple mythological play that mr khadilkar has written which the british saw so they would come their officers would come the hall uh, they would see the play being performed and they would go back and write in their report that uh, boring sa mahabharat ka natak hota song dance whatever etc now that is what they saw yeah. 99% of the indians who were watching this play in the 19 uh, whatever 14 or thereabouts mm. what they were seeing was kichak was lord curzon mm. okay draupadi was bharat mata and bhim was a soldier of the indian national congress wow. so this is the subtext all right this is uh, i think like this is uh, 
documented somewhere or like? I mean I mean if you read the play and now if yeah. you look at uh-huh. what I am telling you no so the thing was you had to tell your story uh-huh. all right correct, and correct. Uh, now if Khadilkar had to tell the story of what is happening on the ground in Punjab in UP if he told a direct story the play would be shut down uh-huh. correct yeah. so he had to find a way of a communicating a story bypassing the british uh, uh, you know soldiers and yeah. surveillance etc and at the same time writing something which is popular and entertaining and which you know uh, wow. <laughs> grabs the imagination of the people so this is a ploy now this is one play this that is amazing I, to know because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And no and since you mentioned tendulkar saab so what does tendulkar saab do with ghasiram kotwal hmm. it's it's hmm. almost the same thing right so the main text is if you look at it is ghasiram kotwal there's nana there's the brahmins of pune there is the history of pune and all the you know the wada politics etc but on the other hand what is the subtext hmm. the subtext is completely different so uh, to answer your question uh, is that any playwright is obviously achieving these two or three things there is always the overt and but there is always a covert subtext which is always layering these kind of things mm. so whenever you know when we write these great plays mm. uh, which stand the test of time and so on and so forth what they managed to achieve is something like this what mr khadilkar achieved in 19, in the turn of the 20th century or what tendulkar saab and many others of course mm. or when for that matter you know girish karnat saab writes tuglak mm. you know and um, the play overtly is about you know mohammed bin tughlaq and his mad madcap sort of attempt at power tyranny of power uh, you know decisions that are taken off the cuff but everybody who saw tughlaq at that time realized that this was obviously an allegory and a metaphor for something else about the contemporary people who were in power at that time mm. so it could be you know the prime minister of india then or the prime minister of india now so you mm. know so that subtext will always remain which is why great works of art will always you know l- always last that way mm. so to answer your question it's not always possible it's difficult because mr khadilkar also wrote many unmemorable plays mm-hmm. so you know and so this is what we all uh, mm. hope to achieve yeah yeah it's it's amazing to like, <laughs> uh, just imagine that there has to be. so so while do- doing these or writing these plays do there need to be like a subtext uh, as in like the the playwright always thinks about a subtext or is it uh, it's it just coincidence what it is exactly no so if you look at the body of work of any great writer mm. to a large extent there will be four or five common concerns he or she will always have mm. then the plots the characters uh, you know what things like uh, the in- these ingredients may keep mixing and matching and changing mm. but common concerns would remain to a large extent you know if i if i've decided to take an avowedly anti establishment stance then i will automatically you know that will get reflected in my plays through a certain kind of characters or certain kind of juxtaposition of those characters so that is bound to happen mm. that is sort of uh, inevitable mm. so yeah actually to so i'm right now i don't know what to <laughs> what to question but yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is again to become a better audience since uh, i'm sure like when they uh, the the play about dropadi is happening sure. the people are also trying to relate it because the people were also quite may be educated about the mm-hmm. current situation or are aware mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. politics happening around so uh, like is there any parameter to gauge a particular character i mean this is like a personal question for me to become a better audience mm-hmm. that whenever i am watching something uh, uh, whether it's antagonist or protagonist both have sure. its positives sure. and negatives so mm-hmm. like 
is there any parameter to gauge a particular character hmm. no but you know he, this again uh, the audience that would go there uh, to watch uh, kichakwad or an audience that went to watch gashiram kotwal would be lay audiences because you know you these are plays which are doing 500 shows 1000 hmm. shows etc so, so so sorry so here the director's skill to uh, communicate the subtext in a very subtle way hmm. or it was the audience uh, preparation or awareness about the situation to understand what he's what the director is trying to say what was at work here i think everything functions simultaneously you know okay. i mean this is again one of the greats in theater no, but there has to be a conscious effort from the director also not of course come, of yeah. course no i mean so th- certain things you just take for granted that talent ability yeah. skill uh, your ability to you know decipher a text and then of course represent that on stage find the right kind of actors and mm-hmm. you know so so uh, kichakwad of course i had not seen that happen mm-hmm. you know way back but gashiram kotwal if you look at the production i mean again and it's been fairly well documented that entire process you mm-hmm. know i mean there is deepak ghare has written a short little book on the journey of uh, the play and in addition of course jabbar patel and uh, tendulkar saab himself and satish alekar in his recent autobiography have spoken about these things so that is fairly documented but the remarkable thing that emerges is it's actually a lot of Uh, flukes that happen simultaneously oh. the right person writing the right play here is jabbar patel who's actually a doctor who's living you know 150 200 kilometers away taking a train coming to pune uh, in a way for rehearsals then finding somebody like bhaskar chandra worker then getting the right kind of a cast then finding somebody like a mohanagashe to play nana's character then that whole composition and choreography that the, so many things that play a part in this and then the obstacles that, that play had i mean as mm. you know that there were about seven or eight you know different instances that had arisen in the history of that yeah. production itself mm. you know right from what happened at pda in pune to the you know the shiv sena opposition then that famous tour to berlin and mm. germany and all that so at every given point of time you almost you know lesser mortals would have just put their arms down and said forget it let's not uh, you know venture mm-hmm. forth on this journey anymore so to a large extent because of you know the way we do theater in india it is generally very guerrilla i mean mm-hmm. and it is also depends jo kehte hai na ki wo insaan ke junoon ke upar wo aadhar rehta hai aisa nahi hai ki you know you have organizational support or party support and those kind of things so to a large extent it is uh the ability of those individuals in that case to be able to you know stay together as a group and combat this hurdle and then mm. move on so mm. to a large extent it's that so you may w- see everybody who's doing a play production will obviously want to do a reasonably good job with the text available material available yeah. and so on so sometimes it's just that circumstances come together and you know create history mm. in a way and in that basically happened in the cases of these landmark productions whatever little that we have heard mm. about sakaram binder again if you've read that you know little treatise that uh, kamlakar sarang who was the director of the play mm. had written about that entire chapter of you know indian theater history it's remarkable and mm. at any given point of time you know it's like reading a thriller <laughs> literally you yeah, know and yeah. so you're turning every page ki ye play hoga ki nahi and mm-hmm. jab wo play hota hai uske baad you're wondering ki ye play hua kaise mm-hmm. so you know these are things and it is important that these uh, you know fine gentlemen have written about this so that people like us can a draw inspiration from it and also learn from that because mm-hmm. i think every decade or so these issues will keep coming up and you mm-hmm. have to find ways and tactics to be able to overcome those so <laughs> so that happens yeah So yeah I think uh this is the last one uh, okay <laughs> yeah. uh 
like in one of the interview uh, i think it was it was not an interview but like one of the speeches of phuladesh pande he mentioned i think when he was speaking about uh, 175th show of vastraharan are you uh, yeah so <laughs> yeah. in that uh, he mentioned that if there's a gun in the first act Mm. uh i mean he quoted that it was mm. quoted by someone else mm. like if there's a gun in the first act and uh, then it should fire in the third otherwise there's mm. no reason to have that gun mm. at all mm. so uh can you uh like give your experience about mm. you using certain things in your plays mm. which so again this again connects to that subtext that yeah. you have something to say mm. but if it's just uh saying for the sake of thing hmm. and not really communicating or guiding the user hmm. uh hmm. how does like any any thoughts on that yeah so i mean in this particular instance this is a very kind of uh, an overt uh, you know plot mechanism that uh, pula has spoken about which is a gun going off and that again is uh, interesting because also you know like i said taste evolves mm-hmm. uh so you know there was a time when uh, if you look at the whole tradition of murder mysteries for mm. instance and that's again something that we need to study because some of it is getting reflected on stage in europe and in the us but whether you know we find that percolating here but to a large extent the murder mysteries were what we would call the agatha christie tradition of you know writing them which mm. was who done it mm. and at best if you are interested it was like a why done it or you know rather a how done it not why, mm-hmm. why done it mm-hmm. so who done it and a how done it and which is where this you know uh, plot device of the gun going off in the first and the third and all that comes mm. in gradually there has been a transition especially again post freud post many other things that you really did not want to uh, you wanted to know who the murderer is in the finest tradition of sherlock holmes hmm. but you also wanted to know why that murder was committed and what Correct. is the sort of social political reality so again just to give you a small example when the nirbhaya incident had happened and you know the whole media explosion took place and a lot of people wrote a lot of things and those four uh, rapists hmm. uh, the four perpetrators of that gruesome crime uh, they were talked about right and generally again there were sort of brush strokes then i recall that there was this one print article which went behind the scene mm. and they actually went to the basti where these migrant workers actually inhabit and mm. to understand two things one is what is that kind of area where you have this sort of lopsided economy which is not integrated to your main formal economy and who are the people who come there mm-hmm. and are we therefore sitting on a tinder box which is waiting to explode and you know this whole feeling of us versus them so one is of course this sort of brutal sexual violence ek prakar ki vikruti mm. par ye vikruti aari kidhar se hai because mm. they are saying that this is not just a, a murder mm. uh, in the sense that this is a preplanned murder for कि मैं इनका खून करूंगा ताकि मेरे को इनकी जायदाद मिले या मैं इनका खून करूंगा ताकि या सो देर इज अ काइंड ऑफ अ क्लियर प्रॉफिट मोटिव सो दिस इज गोइंग बियॉन्ड दैट दिस इज सम काइंड ऑफ सोशल एपिडेमिक राइट सो when that person went, goes over there you for the first time actually get a sense and this is not a justification of what those four uh, you know uh, in a way beastly sort of crimes that they committed but it gives you a, a framework within which to understand that okay this is you know this is what 50 to 60% of population floating population in delhi is living in mm. this is the kind of larger reality and the moment there is this sort of conflict that is going to take place these sort of crimes are going to constantly be accentuated mm. so how are, is this going to be looked upon as a law and order situation and so on so a good playwright would obviously examine something like that it is great material for a play in terms of 
trying to understand the sort of social consciousness because these are not your traditional jihadis mm. these are not your traditional you know sort of uh, uh, fundamentalists this is going somewhere beyond that so the mm. why done it suddenly becomes you know that mechanism becomes somewhere completely different and again you had playwrights who have explored this you mm. have peter shaffer and in india again you have people like madurai and so on who have written plays of this kind which you know very crudely you will call them psychological dramas and so on mm. but the the main thing is this exploration mm. that why is it that certain things are happening now at one level this is an individual incident incident or an event but if it becomes a larger endemic thing then you know it multiplies and it can mm. therefore cause a you know greater a uh, greater sort of an impact mm. so uh, that is that i'll just sort of conclude with um, you know there, there's this great uh, british writer called pd james mm. uh, who again writes crime thrillers and um, it's interesting because so she creates this character like uh, agatha christie creates hercule poirot and uh, Uh, our friend creates sherlock holmes and so on she creates a character called adam dalgilish who's mm. an inspector there now two interesting things happen with her one is that she's writing about crime in london but mainly she's describing a lot of the city mm. right and and she's describing about how the city of london itself has changed over the last 150 years so this is very vivid description of architecture and the river thames and so on so at one level it's about crimes which are there it something could be happening in a publishing firm something could be happening inside a museum and those could be the Correct. crimes but what she is actually commenting on is the decay in london Oh. right mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're looking at the overall arch of her uh, work mm-hmm. what she's talking of is that something has happened as a result of which a certain kind of certain you know societal civilities so mm-hmm. societal upbringings etc so beneath that genteel calm and everything that you know people like you and i when we go to that city see there is this that is sort of churning constantly mm-hmm. and that is this decay and this decay is giving rise to this kind of a thing and then she makes a very very interesting somebody asked her that uh, when and how did you decide to become a you know a, a crime thriller now because when you meet her she looks like you know one of your aunties in parla east mm. very very mousy so <laughs> you know with her cup of tea and everything and you would be this woman come conjures these horrific kind of stories which mm. are very gruesome mm. so she said that when i was a kid of about 4 or 5 i heard the nursery rhyme humpty dumpty you know mm. which we all have heard and the only difference was that when the line came humpty dumpty sat on the wall humpty dumpty had a great fall she got up in class and she asked who did it <laughs> and she says since then i have always asked that one question you know mm-hmm. so i think to answer again a long answer to your question is what pula is also arriving at is that a good playwright should basically be asking those questions you know wow. who did it <laughs> wow, wow, yeah wow, yeah yeah wow. right that's brilliant yeah thank you thank you very uh, much thank you uh, thank you yeah that's a great uh, note to end this yeah and uh, it was great talking to you and got to learn a lot of new things thank yep. you all right thank you yeah and that's it from today's gyan session uh, stay tuned for more gyan on audio gyan next week till then bye <laughs>